Rusty Quill presents. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural edition of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. How are you? <laughs> um, for those of you who uh, don't know what's happening right now uh, and haven't been paying attention, I am launching, and uh, this is this is the very beginning of it, a sort of companion podcast to go along with the regular short fiction horror podcast entries of the West Side fairy tales. So this is uh, basically this is just a, a way for me to come down and kind of get a little bit more uh, closer to you guys, man to man, fan to fan, that sort of thing. Uh, so you can kind of hear me talk normal. <laughs> um, I've always I've always been the kind of guy who worries uh, that people you know, won't, won't really get me, uh, kind of, kind of thing. Um, and ever since I started the West side fairy tales, and especially since I started picking up fans, I have a, a, a semi-frequent fear of people thinking that I am the same kind of person as the, uh, as the narration that I do at the beginning, uh, which feels a little fakey to me just because it is, it is fake. It's me reading, uh, pre-made notes so that I don't I don't stutter and ramble my way through things. So um, when I I started this the West Side Fairy Tales Horn Lake Club podcast on the Patreon originally, um, and so anybody who's uh, who's from the Patreon listening, hello, uh, you guys know what to expect already. Um, but it was very well received there, and people like to hear a little bit more about <clears throat> kind of me and my my relationship with literature and. I thought it was something I could I could share with you guys. And if you're if you're not interested, if you don't care to hear this stuff, uh, don't worry. You're not going to offend me. You don't have to listen. The regular West Side Fairy Tales episodes are going to come out the same way they always do on the first Friday of the month. And uh, this is just a, an extra thing that's coming out every other weekend. And it's uh, it's basically me talking about the uh, recommendations. From the previous episode. So, um, in the case of today's West Side Fairy Tales Horn Lit Club, I'm going to be talking about uh, Night in the Woods and Preacher. Um, and you know, uh, I like to I like to kind of go off topic and, and divulge and, and talk about random stuff too. Uh, 
excuse me, sorry. Before we hop into things, I would like to add that you guys can join the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. It's not a very, it's not a very exclusive club. All you got to do is uh, be a human being and like literature, and then go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. And you can just search for it in the bar. Uh, I think we're at like 200 members and growing now, which is pretty cool. It's a small thing. Um, and, you know, it's not a huge, it's not a huge, uh, like, organization or anything. I know a lot of my, a lot of my friends who are in the podcasting game have groups and they have like 10 people the day they start. They have 75 people by the next day and then they have like 4,000 people <laughs> in their groups like by the next weekend. Um, and then it kind of, uh, it, generally, they kind of, because they're all true crime people, the uh, the groups devolve into uh, four kinds of posts, basically. There's the, uh, have you have you seen this story post? And you have seen that story because it's a, it's a post about true crime in a true crime group. There's the, uh, have you seen this story and you haven't seen that story because nobody has, because it's like really not interesting. Uh, and then there's um, people sharing other people getting punished for crimes, and that usually just leads into a lot of, uh, you know, we should we should kill people for, that kill other people <laughs> conversations. And uh, and then and then the last is just requests for uh, people to cover certain things, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> There's there's some there's some good stuff that happens in those groups, but quite generally, uh, almost across the board, um, big or small, every true crime group kind of looks the same. So, when I started the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club, I wanted it to be different. Um, you don't don't do that stuff. It's not a true crime thing. Uh, it's really just about um, scary shit and and fucking reading. <laughs> Uh, and, and I like it. There's a lot of good stuff. People, you can come in there and talk about books that you've been reading. Uh, you can talk about horror movies you've seen, uh, video games you played, anything that really just interests you in either of those two topics. And as long as you keep it on topic, you're good. Um, uh, people just go there and talk to each other about stuff, which is great. Cause I don't have to try to keep things going all the time. <laughs> Fucking awesome. Um, and it's also the, uh, the location of the main conversations around the West side fairy tales episodes themselves. Don't have, you don't worry if you, if you hop over to the group, um, it's not a, uh, it's not, you know, just me self promoting the entire time. Although I do my fair bit of self promotion there because it is my group and I have that right. But, uh, let, let's just, uh, let's just hop into it. So this month's random horror recommendation was Night in the Woods, which is a January 10th, 2017 release by developer Infinite Fall. It's an indie dev that uh, all of the music and design is done by a guy named Alec Holoka. Holoka? I can't say his name right. Alec, if you're listening, I apologize. Uh, I'm dumb. And that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Uh, and the writing was done by Bethany Hockenberry and Scott Benson. And, um, man, I really just love Night in the Woods. It's, it's one of those, it's an indie title in, like, in, in every aspect. I haven't played a game really like it ever before. Uh, you know, I've played games that are in that vein, obviously. It, it's sort of, um, just, just, just as a, an interface way. 
of explaining it. It's a, a side-scrolling sort of adventure game, but not like uh, like adventure adventure where it's like Mega Man where you're running around shooting people. Um, there's actually very little combat at all, and most of it's uh, really played for laughs. <laughs> there's a knife fighting mini game that um, is extraordinarily dumb and wonderful, and I won. So suck it, Greg. Uh, if anybody. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, but you probably don't because I am here to recommend the thing to you. So um, in in that vein, it's basically you just kind of wander around the town uh, of Possum Springs and it's a a dying coal town up in the mountains, uh, which really just speaks to me. That's like my favorite place to set stuff. Obviously, if you've been following the podcast for a long period of time, a lot of my stories start, end or begin uh, start end or begin starter end in uh coal country in, in west virginia and the hills and stuff um i actually uh if you if none of you guys are familiar with uh, me me expounding upon it in the patreon um i i fell in love with west virginia um about four years ago now uh, it's where i met my fiance and i, I did not think i would enjoy west virginia because it is much maligned and uh for good reasons uh, in the press and for bad reasons as well. Uh, and so you kind of get this impression that this place is a, a beat up, you know, hillbillies and, 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 and violence and racism and drugs and blah, 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 blah. And there, there's a little bit of all of those things, but in my opinion, not that much more than the rest of America. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously maybe the numbers might not really, really go for that, but I, I feel like it's just a place where, most of the modern conveniences that we're all super used to haven't really taken hold. And I'm not just talking about like they don't have internet and electricity. Um, there's internet and electricity there uh, by the plenty, but you know, you, you might have to drive like three towns to get to a target or you might be the town with the Walmart and then everyone comes and hangs out in your parking lot and you know, those sort of things. Uh, there's not a plethora of jobs and the jobs that are available are very specific, you know? So, um, like it's one of those things I can consider it a modern convenience that you can see an occupation like on the internet or something, or, or you can read about it in a book or, or whatever, and then want to do that thing. And then you really won't have to leave home necessarily for most, most, most of those occupations in order to do them which is not much, not the case in West Virginia. I mean, you know, they need nurses, they need doctors, electricians, coal miners, teachers of that sort. But, you know, there's a lot of really, really specific type jobs that you just won't find an, a necessity for in certain towns. Or, you know, you could live in that town, but you have to drive a million miles to do whatever it is that you do for work. Um, I don't have really specific examples, but trust me, it, 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 is, it is the case. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, on that note, um, that's where that is where Night in the Woods takes place, uh, and it's a very wonderful dark game. Uh, it's without getting too much into the plot because I don't want to really spoil it. Spoil it. But uh, the main character, whose name is May, she is a anthropomorphic cat. If you don't know what that word means, she's a cat that looks like a person. She's got arms and legs. And uh, everybody else that's in the town, uh, in the world, one would assume, um, is some sort of of animal. Most of them are are fairly common domestic type, uh, you know, animals native to America. So it's nothing like too extraordinary. 
Um, and she has giant nightmare eyes. But uh, May starts off the story by returning to town. Actually, in the middle of the night, she sneaks back home after uh, sort of unofficially dropping out of college in order to kind of come to grips with and address certain issues that she's been facing. Like uh, most, of, most of which, the biggest two are kind of her disassociation with her own self as she grows up and she doesn't really understand who she's becoming as an adult. And also, um, she is a mentally ill person, not in a, a crushing, like, you know, debilitatingly mentally ill, but she, she has a, she has some mental, mental sicknesses, uh, which you can't really go into, uh, without spoiling stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's problems that she has to address and that, that's pretty common. You know, I have a, I have a few mental things myself. I'm pretty sure most of you listening do. And, um, her return is kind of compounded by the fact that her, her parents have their own stories going on. Um, you know, her, her parents are, are poor coal town people, you know, and, and they made a lot of sacrifices to put her in college and she's dropping out cause it's not making her happy. Her friends are starting to move on. Um, even her kind of scumbag best friend, Greg is, uh, you know, he's he's getting ready to grow up and move out with his boyfriend and maybe leave town kind of thing. And it's just a great story on that level alone. It's fun. And you, you find stuff out by traveling around and you talk to other characters and um, you, you you almost never get anything explained to you in the entire game. Even the, the little tidbits that I let out, um, you have to find, you really have to dig them up. And if you're, if you're sort of a, a truffle pig for, for good plot and backstory and lore, the, the story is just amazing. And it's a blast. Cause you can talk to like random, like people and their little underground fairy that they have <laughs> in the town. And, uh, you, you can learn all kinds of stuff about people's pasts and, and, and various nonsense. And there's places you can get to on the roofs and the, the whole place is honeycombed with uh, interesting little tidbits and you get rewards and stuff for finding out little secrets. But that isn't the scary part of it. The horror aspect of it revolves around um, at least one dark hooded figure that is seen lurking in the background, uh, even from the earliest parts of the game. And you, you start to find out that people have gone missing in this town um, for years before. <clears throat> and without getting too into it, uh, it's just a blast finding out that story. And you can actually, I think it's possible to beat the game. Uh, beat the game just really means completing the story. Without actually finding out what's happening in the town, um, you can just be a bad detective and a lazy person. I, I'm pretty sure you can just sleep every day and not talk to anyone. And that's, that's the way to finish it. There are multiple endings, depending on people who you talk to, depending on how in depth you get, um, and the sort of side activities and stuff that you do. But I mean, the game is really just, uh, an, an incredible approach to, um, a sort of story you've kind of heard before, you know, the, the, the twin peaks town with secrets. Um, and like the freaks and geeks, you know, weirdo losers and where are they now type thing. And, but, but when you put those together, it's really just a, a blast of a, of a story to get through. And I actually played it with my fiance when it came out, I, I saw it and I really just assumed, um, apropos of nothing. Cause I didn't know anything about the developer. I, I just, based on the art style, 
And uh, some of the things people were like saying in the game in the preview alone, I was just like, this looks like it could be a blast. And I, I was really, I was really well rewarded for uh, taking the time to check that out. Um, the the writers again, that's Bethany Hockenberry and Scott Benson. Dude, they they knocked it out of the ballpark. The main plot is very engrossing, and it's actually a blast to find out what's going on if you if you take the time to to really dig into the town and, and figure out like the sort of secrets and the back area stuff to the point where it's actually, in my opinion, worth playing through the game a second time after you've done it just to see the other possible endings and uh, just to see if you notice things again on the second playthrough that you didn't notice the first time because, um, well, just everybody that you can see in the town, even if you can't talk to them, has a point to being there, basically. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But yeah, man, um, if you just like a, if you like a, 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 a fun little diversion of a game, I think playing through it, maybe, maybe it was like four to seven hours uh, over the course of, you know, like maybe twice as many days. I think we, it took us like two weeks to play it. And we just play like half an hour here and half an hour there, an hour there. Um, and then we beat it and we wanted to play through it again. Uh, and it, it's it's a really casual game. If you if you don't know anything about video games, um, you, and you don't even have a console, you can still play it. You can download it on your computer if you have a computer um, through Steam and just play it that way. And I would I would one hundred percent recommend this to anybody that's uh, sort of of looking for that sort of thing. Again, the the game is Night in the Woods uh, from developer Infinite Fall, and uh, I will leave a link in the show notes. For you guys to go ahead and uh, and, and check it out and find it. <clears throat> the literature recommendation for this month is the entirety of the run of the comic book Preacher by Garth Enos and Steve Dillon, uh, which ran from 1995 through the year 2000. Um, this 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 comic book is like literally one of my favorite comics of all time. I think I've read through the entirety of it three times now, <laughs> which, um, you know, it's been almost 20 years since the damn thing came out. Uh, well, finished running, really. It's been it's been more than 20 years since it came out. Uh, and it's still it still works for me. The plot is basically and if you if you've seen the AMC series preacher, I think it's on it's an AMC or FX, one of the, the slightly edgy, but not that edgy cable. uh you know, cable networks that are in the, in, in when I was growing up there in like the mid forties, mid fifties, <laughs> that's where all the, that's where all the edgy shit is. That's MTV VH1. And then it ends with uh, comedy central and sci-fi on 50 and 52. Anybody that's really young, once upon a time to watch shit, you had to put numbers into a remote control and that would send you to a certain place. 
anybody that's really, really young, once upon a time, you had to twist a gigantic dial and it would uh, I shouldn't be old enough to remember that, um, but my grandma never got rid of that TV. <laughs> so you actually, the the knobs always went to the same the same place, and they didn't have the numbers on it. So the numbers would change no matter where you lived. If, if you don't know, what I'm talking about a knob TV. Only had uh, there's literally only twelve tuning stations you could go to and it would cut, 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 cut into them. And so you had to like, I don't know if you had to go inside the thing. But basically, you had to like preset all these knob selections and then like write in what number it was. So, like, star 64 when I was growing up was a WPN, it was like one of the most common ones. Like, channel nine, uh, it was ABC, I think, American Broadcasting Corporation. And, um, <laughs> you would have to, you would have to click it over to that. And if there was anything between like, you know, channel nine to channel 64 that you wanted to watch and you didn't have it on there, 48 would be PBS. Um, you just didn't get it. So, like, if you wanted to watch one of the other stations, you have to go into, like, the, the TV, the, the room with the real TV, which is kind of cool. As a babysitting TV, it was actually clutch as fuck because you literally could not listen or watch anything that, that wasn't, like, pre-programmed in the TV. You had, like, the six stations to choose from. So, it was like NBC, ABC, CBS, WPN, PBS, and, like, I don't know, one other thing. UPN, maybe. Whichever one had the dancing frog. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I think it was Warner Brothers might have had their own, their own one station. I digress. Oh, this, this series started running when I would have been getting babysat. At the very end of it, 95, I would have been eight, eight years old. Um, but it ran 95 to 2000 as the series Preacher. Sorry for the diversion. Uh, people that are used to this from the Patreon know the diversions are coming. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new here, you might not have expected all of these, uh, these rants and torrents. But they come. They come and they go. Anyway, Preacher started running in 95 and ran through 2000, which is kind of a... F- like. A sort of almost fantastic time in American history now, um, if you don't know too much about America. The late 90s were the product of literally an entire century of just America kind of like almost winning and getting better and getting better. And then we finally beat the Russians. And that was the thing. 89, you beat the Russians. There was some bullshit in the Middle East, and no one even knew what the fuck the Middle East really was with Saddam Hussein, and that was like the Kuwait War. And then everything after that, man, uh, it was a fucking—the 90s were like a party, a weird, shitty party um, that I was too young to really enjoy. You had O.J. Simpson was the first, like—it was the first major trial— I I think, at least in my life, but as far as I remember, the first major trial that was basically the only thing anybody ever talked about for like seven or eight months in like 96 or 97, whenever the fuck it happened. And like there was the the, the Bronco police chase after they were hunting him. Uh, People with cameras drove after Princess Diana until she died in a car crash. Princess Diana was a thing. Uh, If you thought the word... The whole royal family deals, like, nowadays, uh, with the royal weddings and all that nonsense, that, that, that shit is nothing compared to the insanity of post-Princess Diana's death, um, which I think might be mentioned in, this, in these books. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was the 1990s, which was 
America was literally on top of the world. And like kind of in an unquestionable way, we had tons of money. The economy was in a in a boom. Uh, Clinton was fucking president, um, for better or for worse. He was in trouble in the White House for having sex with Monica Lewinsky. Uh, people mistreated her. This is how back-ass words America was compared to like nowadays. We have like Me Too and stuff where people are almost like, maybe we should calm down believing every single accusation to back in the 90s when like some poor intern got basically, you know, conned into having sex with the president of the United States because how the fuck do you say no to Bill Clinton when he's sitting behind the Oval Office? Uh, And then people like basically like excoriated her until she could not show her face in public anymore because she was somehow the bad guy, uh, a single woman working in the White House, as opposed to the married sitting president of the United States who uh, who 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 basically soiled the the sanctity of the office. Um, And yeah, man, that was the 90s, dude. And this kind of took place in the 90s. And in, in a way. Preacher is a great reflection on America as a as in, in general, um, which is weird because Garth Enos, who is the writer, uh, as far as I know, is not American. I'm pretty sure he's British as shit. I'd actually almost guarantee it because he worked on Hellblazer. <laughs> um, but man, no, it, it really it really hits some stuff that like you kind of forget. Uh, and it's a place you can't go back to as we get older where like America had time to sort of sit and reminisce about it's like glory days while still living them. And it, it's, it is really just beyond the pale of bizarre, how weird the nineties were to the point where like no one thought like 2001 could ever have happened. You know what I mean? Nine eleven and the the two thousands eras were just just a, a complete like one eighty from from the nineties. Like we had crazy you know crashes and stuff. So anyway, preacher takes place during this sort of time. I think I'm pretty sure. I know it was written during then. But uh, the cool thing about preacher is it does feel sort of ageless. the The story revolves around a man named Jesse Custer. Um, and without getting into spoilers too deeply, the very first scene, functionally speaking, in the uh, in the book is him being inhabited by the voice of God, uh, which gives him the power to basically make people do stuff when he says it, and his eyes turn red. Um, and then his when he gets hit with it, it blows up his church and like basically kills his entire congregation. Uh, and before he, you know started that he was uh basically you know very simple drunk preacher type uh talking shit to his people you know bringing down the law on him but uh after that he kind of goes on a mission um he reunites almost immediately with both his former girlfriend um whose name is Tulip O'Hare and uh, their traveling companion, a Irish vampire named Cassidy. And the best thing about this book is it is really just a slice of Americana. I mean, it, it's there's a very, very good reason that I chose it to be a part of the the Tota Americana run um, as a selection because you know it's it's books like this that really kind of put that. Uh, understanding of that kind of story in me um even though it's not even you know 
in American writing it. But uh, the, 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 these three people, their travels across America kind of take them up against all of the good and the bad in this country. And I mean, you kind of go in on racism uh, and not just racism, but kind of like the, the historical spirit of racism and not just how like bad it is, but really how fucking dumb it is. And how, like, you know, the the things that are espoused by racists, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite um, jokes in the whole book, uh, well, the, the omnibus, I guess you'd say, is he runs across a uh, crew of Klansmen at some point. It's actually while he's being the, the sheriff of, of a small town, but I, I digress. Uh, Jesse Custer does. And he's like, why is it that every time you run across a crew of you white supremacists, you are never the shining example of the race you claim to be a part of? And then he looks at one guy and the dude's like literally has no chin. He goes, where in the fuck is your chin at? <laughs> like, how are you guys supposed to be better than everybody? And you're not even the best of like whatever the fuck it is you were part of, which I really appreciate because, I mean, it, it's a better way of addressing it, at least in the nineties, then, you know, some ways were, cause you can always go down to like, you know, the, Oh, it's super sad and it's very depressing kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's something that people have a bad habit of doing, especially nowadays where you're trying to make political statements and you're just making political statements in fiction. And it's very ham handed and, 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 and dull and blunt and, and obvious. It's like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this thing. And everyone's like, we know. Okay, move on. Um, and, and they did a very good job in a lot of things, you know, uh, drug abuse, um, greed, American exceptionalism, military uh, overspending. And they're always kind of just poking fun at it in a way that's just slightly just slightly shy of of absurd and steve dillon's artwork really helps all this uh it really sells a lot of um enos's writing because uh if you don't know anything about steve dillon steve dillon is kind of much maligned uh in the comics book industry nowadays uh he i think it was a degenerative brain condition but um his health was failing began failing as far as i know at the beginning or like toward the middle of uh preacher at the very beginning of preacher he has very dynamic face work and actually a little bit of history lesson him and enos actually started working on hellblazer which is another incredible comic book run that's uh john constantine if anybody knows about those uh, it became an american movie called constantine uh starring John Wick himself, Keanu Reeves, <laughs> honestly, honestly, almost as like literally he looks like John Wick in that movie, just like 10 years younger and he doesn't have a dog. He's just fighting the devil instead. But I mean, black suit, black tie, long black hair, as far as I remember, but I digress. Uh, the reason that's wrong is because in the books, Constantine has very white hair and he's supposed to look like Sting. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, God bless his heart, doesn't. Uh, and he's like a smooth talking, kind of like wisecracking asshole and a, and a con man, like a, a notorious con man, but he's not. But th this isn't. Th anyway, uh, that's where Steve Dillon and Garth Ennis met um, toward the ass end, from what I understand, of Garth Ennis's work on Hellblazer. 
Dylan took over as the artist. Um, if you don't know that much about comic books, uh, it, you switch out writers and artists fairly constantly, um, especially for long-running titles. I think when he took over Hellblazer, it had already been going. Garthena's had, I think it had already been going for a while. Um, or he might have started it. I can't really, I can't remember. But all of that aside, the the run of Hellblazer was about 25 years or so. It only ended a few years back. And uh, unlike American comics, a lot of uh, British comics have extended runs that are uninterrupted. Where American comics got into a very, uh, very common habit of just rebooting every five months to like three or four years, and then and then starting another run, even though it's continuously, you know, Detective Comics one hundred three or Detective Comics five. Uh, the British versions don't interrupt their runs. I mean, it, it might not be the case now, but it was the case when these started. So you have books like uh, Judge Dredd that's been going on for forever and Hellblazer where actually people, you, you saw the character's age, like literally 1985 was 1985 to John Constantine and 2005 was 2005 for John Constantine and he got fucking old. <laughs> but it's a, it's a kind of a cool thing. But anyway, you switch out artists and stuff because nobody can write something for 25 years. Uh, people get bored and they want to do other things. Uh, people fucking die. Artists get sick. They break their hands. They decide that they want to go move to Tibet and raise llamas in the hills. So, you know, they switch them out. And um, I guess they they started a bit of a love affair because they ended up working on Hellblazer. Uh, Preacher. And then The Punisher. So... Steve Dillon's artwork, as I was talking about, is kind of it, it. It's fucking awesome in his earlier runs, and then you can see as he's has his kind of health declines, his uh, line work gets a little bit more stiff, and his character faces start getting very similar to the point where after Preacher ended, he worked on, I think it was Punisher Max. It was, it was a Punisher title, and it was him and, and Enos together. And <laughs> it's, it's a meme now that they had Frank face. So there's a, a, a much shared meme from you know probably like the late 2000s where every time you see Frank Castle, it's the exact same face, but like also his face is superimposed on everything else in the scene. And sometimes you flip them back and forth from like the original to the copy and you can't quite tell. Um, but, but Steve Dillon's artwork is, it was great, especially in the early runs of preacher and it doesn't fall apart completely by the end of preacher. And it's, it's one of those things that you, you really can't describe it without telling people, but it's just accurate enough you know, um, close to on model for real human beings. You know, people's arms are the right, they bend right, um, you know, they have their organs in the correct places, their eyes and stuff move normally. It's the, a good mix of realistic line work and drawing like that, and then also kind of just a, a an animated kind of cartoony uh, feel right on top of it, like a very thin, subtle layer, so that when the absurdity comes, it's not too absurd. And it, and it really just, it really pays off, especially when, you know, you've got 
angels, fucking demons in the sky, and fucking old cowboys walking through atomic fire, <laughs> driving cross country for a few miles, hitchhiking with uh, Elvis. You know, well, maybe Elvis. And, and it's it's just it's just a blast to to see it all kind of come out and um. It, it's not all like fun and games too. The, the the comic goes to some very dark places, as I said before, you know, uh, things like racism, uh, violence, blood grudges, things like that kind of come up fairly frequently. Everybody, everybody in the story is either the victim of or a constant perpetrator of violence, if not both things. Um, the main guy, the main bad guy in it, whose name is Herr Strauss, I think. Uh, he is just a psychopath, um, who constantly gets wounded throughout the entirety of the book, losing eyes, limbs, having his head wounded, um, and never really learning his lesson. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of commentary on, on the nature of faith and religion, uh, and the importance that it plays kind of in the American spirit. You know, there's, there's never a point, and, and this is the, the entirety of the thing is kind of a takedown on the the nature of God. Um, God is missing through most of the book. And when he finally shows up again, uh, far, far later in it, he sucks. <laughs> he's a fucking dick. Uh, he's, he's basically the, uh, the sociopathic asshole you would think would have to exist to intentionally create every little good and bad thing on earth. Uh, and very self-absorbed. So he's the kind of person that would do all of that and then also make a Bible and then also require that people love him. So, you know, uh, but it's, it's, there's never really a takedown on religious people themselves. That is to say people that, that kind of like have faith. Uh, it, it's never like, you know, oh, well, you know, you believe in God, you're, you're flatly fucking idiotic or you're, you're dumb as shit. There is plenty of uh, people trying to justify themselves uh, and their their ill conduct by, uh, you know, claiming that they're part of whatever religion and, you know, this is this is kind of what happens. You know, that's how God is worship kind of deal. And then, you know, you get your, your just comeuppance. But uh, in general, it's not, you know, faith itself as a, as a construct isn't really dragged through the mud. And um, it, it's kind of a testament to how good of a writing job they did that that didn't happen because i couldn't imagine a lot of there's a lot of you know heavy-handed writers especially these days in the uh the latter days of the empire that um just love low-hanging fruit and actually really it's probably not a big change since i was a kid i'm just older now so i notice it more and you know people are just very very eager to moralize and 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 proselytize and stand up on their little pedestals and and say this is good and that is bad and then when you see the thing that's bad in their work it'll be getting dragged or it'll be it'll be humiliating itself and then when it's the good thing the good thing is always doing great even if it's not necessarily something you think it's good if the writer does which i hope i I stay away from let me know if i don't in the comments below (laughs) but um in this book, there's there's a lot of times where they could have gotten heavy-handed and preachy. I mean, it is preacher, but uh, but they really don't. You know, there's there's a there's a, a bunch of fun monologues. There's a lot of times where people take really strong stances on stuff, and then like twenty minutes later, they're coming to kind of terms with their own fucking 
uh, what you'd say, their own hypocrisies. And, 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 and start to finish, uh, there is a feeling deep down that uh, Garth Enos like, believes in America, which I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Um, I hope it is, because he, he did a very good job of it. But it, 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 it's a great, honest-to-God love letter to somebody you have a complicated relationship with, where you don't let them off the hook. America is very well-realized in this book. And I think that's why I like it to this day is because it it still feels very visceral and very real and very accurate to, to, to the times and, um, and just to the nature of this country, uh, which I am from, by the way, I don't know if (laughs) I know I have some Canadian listeners and some, some Brits are around too, but I am, I am an American. I'm, I'm, I'm American as shit. I'm from the fucking Midwest, dude. But, uh, I, I do like it. I like that he, he wrote this uh, in, in such, a, such a good way that you can, you can read it and you don't feel like it's kissing your ass and you don't feel like it's letting you off the hook. Uh, and it's just a blast, man. I really can't recommend it enough. Um, so, yeah, go out and go ahead and read Preacher, P-R-E-A-C-H-E-R. <laughs> I, got, I got into a bad habit. Um, of spelling out stuff because it's required in all of my advertisements now. Like uh, they, they they want you to read stuff, and then there's always. If you've never seen a podcast uh, advertisement thing before, it's like three pages, and there's like a page of like do say, there's a page of don't say, and there's a page of must say. So like on the do say thing, it's like pick six things, and uh, of these like twelve thing like this this product tastes like butter but doesn't taste like metal it will fill up your stomach but it won't rip out through your chest and hold your beating heart in front of you so you can watch it slowly stop pumping until you die it doesn't that's that's kind of the basic (laughs) premise of it but then at the bottom there's always a uh there's always a you must say and it's usually the uh the link in the url and always has you spell it out which is (laughs) It's a test, man, because <laughs> yeah, I do I do them reading off the paper, right? But uh, even then, it's hard to spell things that are really long in a row because it feels it, it's very much the same as trying to play sheet music, and you're not very practiced, you know. And you you go from like ad libbing to and then and you know that if anybody hears you misspell it. They're going to make fun of you, and then also you're going to have to do a make good read, which is basically a free commercial uh, on, on the next program. But like, I don't know, I was reading something random off of my uh, West Side Fairy Tales novelettes. W S F N O V E L L E T T E S. I got that one, but you know, Hello Fresh West Side HelloFresh dot com slash West Side eighty. <laughs> You got dude, you got to be hitting every stone on that bit of hopscotch. But um sorry. Uh preacher man, guys, go check it out. I'm going to leave a link to it in the show notes. Takes on books, if you want to talk about the things that I talked about in the day's episode, um just just hit me up and let me know. Uh and man, you might find yourself uh, up here. You'll be famous. <laughs> Um, uh, in addition to everything else, I am really sorry that the 
the the first episode of this did not come out on time. I decided, although it might not seem like it, um, I decided to try to make the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club more legit than it was on the Patreon. On the Patreon, it's literally just, I just start talking, and then I stop, and then I put it online, <laughs> which, which you probably got a feel for here. But um, on this one, I'm going to do a little bit, a small amount of editing, and uh, also I spent about an hour and a half today making the theme song that you heard at the intro and the outro. I wrote that. Um, using GarageBand, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, if you love the West Side Fairy Tales, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, we're West Side Fairy Tales everywhere you can find us. On Twitter, we are at WS Fairy Tales. If you want to send me a line directly and just tell me I'm 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 the fucking coolest dude on earth, and you love that I live, <laughs> or that you hate me, uh, you can send me a direct line on Gmail. Uh, or on by email at gmail.com Westside fairy tales at gmail.com um go ahead subscribe to the podcast hit us up in the west side fairy tales whore and lit club if you want to throw us some money and get early access to episodes like this and uh the main feed episodes then go to patreon.com patreon.com slash west side fairy tales and uh for just a dollar or more you get access to episodes early. For five dollars, you get the name on your name on the website. You get access to behind the story audio, which is very much like this, except for it's me going into detail about the month's story. And then uh, for ten dollars or more, you get super early access to episodes, the raw versions of the episodes, which are uh, without my intro or outro or any music. Uh, it's basically just the finished audiobook version of the story. Um, and you also get some merch and then like $20 and more, you get PDFs of the stories, including the artwork and even, um, signed copies of individual stories. If you hop up to the $50 tier, so pop on over to patreon.com slash Westside fairy tales and, uh, start supporting indie horror today. Uh, the next thing that you, that's going to come up on the feed is Westside fairy tales episode 309. Like Jesus. Uh, that'd be Toda Americana part four. I know a lot of you have been waiting, uh, with bated breath for the end of the series. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sorry that it couldn't come sooner. Um, but unfortunately for those of you who hate long, long form stories, everybody, everybody except for you seems to like them. <laughs> so we're probably going to be doing more of them. I mean, I was going to do more of them anyway, but don't, don't think it's a slight to you and don't think it's me trying to be lazy. It literally just takes me so much time to write these things and put them out uh, that I, I can't, I cannot work faster without sacrificing quality. I mean, I can barely get this podcast out. That's me just talking on time um, because I'm, I'm a loser. <laughs> oh, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh yeah. Uh, for all you big fans of the show, especially you Patreon folks uh, in the $10 up and higher tier, we are going to be, having shirts very soon so um we're going to be opening an official merch store um as soon as my dude uh shout out sam swenson wherever you are uh as soon as as soon as he gets a the merch store up and we get some designs finalized and settled it should be in the next month or so hopefully according to what he's told me uh you're gonna have you're gonna be able to walk around in your very own west side fairy tales merch and i really I know that's uh, that's going to be a, more of a benefit to me because <laughs> I'll be making money off of it and stuff. 
But uh, but really, um, I can't thank you guys enough. Uh, my heart, like, literally beats for my fucking fans. Um, none of this would have been possible without you guys. Newcomers, uh, old souls, everybody that's come out, even just to check out me talking uh, into a microphone for like 48 minutes about like two books and almost everything else but those. Um, thanks. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your continued interest in the West Side Fairy Tales. Um, and until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witching Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.